Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. My name is Dean Detloff. I'm a Catholic PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto. I'm Matt Bernico. I teach media studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. We're talking with Vincent Lloyd. Um, He is the Associate Professor of Theology and Religious Studies at Villanova University. If you'll recall, uh, if you're a true Magnificast fan, uh, you'll remember that we uh, talked with Vincent back in episode six about some research he did on Huey P. Newton and prison abolition. And uh, this week we're talking to him again about uh, a new book that he just had come out called In Defense of Charisma. Uh, it's coming out next month on Columbia Press, so you got to make sure you get it because it's real neat. Definitely a, uh, a book uh, that stands out. It's not a book that I've like you know read before with a different name or anything. It's uh, pretty unique. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's also really easy to read. Uh, it's not you don't get bogged down in like a bunch of jargon. Uh, there's a lot of really good prose, and he talks about a lot of like books that are popular and popular movements, popular people. So it's easy to track with, and that's a nice, refreshing thing to read. I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but first, before we do that, I have to say it that way because that's how Julie Chen says it on Big Brother, and uh, Big Brother Celebrity Edition just finished. So I got that. But first, <laughs> stuck in my head, you know. Um, <laughs> just a side note big, big brother is extremely good and big brother canada is starting next week and you gotta you just gotta gotta get on it i need more people to talk to you about it no one will talk to me about it and uh, you're all missing out a- apart from that though uh we finally have a new itunes review let's let's do it but let me just tell you you guys need to submit more itunes reviews even if you already submitted one submit another one no one cares there's no police here there's no one's gonna turn you into itunes jail and even if they did like we'd get you out we would bail you out so just get back on yeah get back on itunes and give us some more of these good that's why we get the patreon money it's bail money for itunes jail that's exactly what it is yeah all right uh okay so uh we review this week that's uh titled a life-changing experience five out of five stars so nailed it off to a pretty good start yeah nailed it uh okay so this user writes the magnificast gives moments of knowledge understanding fun and joy while providing new information and creating interesting and entertaining discussions this podcast is a beautiful place for christianity and leftist politics to be oh my gosh this is so nice (laughs) if you have felt before as i have a communist without a party and a christian without a church that's a good line that we did not come up with uh then there you can find colleagues comrades friends uh, by sharing moments and spreading how one is far from alone in this position as a Christian on the left with fellows like John Greenaway, Rev Left Radio, Friendly Anarchism, and more. Uh, and here, one can truly belong and learn and have fun with a unique podcast that has settled my troubled conscience and definitely changed my life in a truly fantastic way. Here's to a whole lot more fun and good content, TM. <laughs> uh, wow. That is a... Like, it, like we've had nice reviews in the past but um that one's the nicest yeah I think. the word i would use to describe that review is wholesome just a real wholesome Ooh. hug of a review they said our podcast was beautiful they really and, did well that's not a word i would have ever used <laughs> i appreciate that uh yeah same uh there's a lot of beauty going on in that review which i appreciate despite feeling that we don't deserve it haven't earned it but maybe in the future i mean there's a good benediction at the end of there so we'll just try to live up to it it's a good ideal to strive to this review Mm, mm -hmm. um cool well that's a good review uh like matt said keep sending them in also 
specifically for Canadians. We, uh, for some reason, iTunes separates reviews between the U.S. and Canada, and we only have six reviews from Canada, despite the fact that we also have statistics that say more than six people in Canada listen to the show. So, uh, you know what to do. I'm not, I'm not trying to put these Canadian listeners on blast, but, like, I, I mean, also I am. Yeah, no. Come on, come on Canadian listeners. <laughs> Help us out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm putting you on blast because I'm from America. <laughs> I'm from the United States. Okay. Uh, one last thing before we turn it over to Vincent. I'm so sorry. One last thing is always uh, three more things, but here we go. Uh, one last thing. Uh, next week is our... 50th episode whoa um that's crazy it's a lot of episodes i can't even believe it it's so many episodes well uh to celebrate uh we're gonna talk about the podcast a little bit and uh reflect on it just think about the long road that we've been on this whole time um and also we're going to take all of the questions and comments that you guys have to offer us um so uh, this episode could be extremely good or extremely bad, just all up to you guys. So if you want to see us fail, then this is uh, your chance to uh, not do anything. You, you have to so, listen uh, to it, so it's like you're really just hurting yourself. <laughs> it's true. You're really hurting yourself. Um, so uh, if you have questions, concerns, thoughts, or comments about the Magnificast brand, uh, the Magnificast la- line of products, please <laughs> send those thoughts to us at uh, themagnificast at gmail.com. Uh, or if you're feeling really adventurous, uh, call us at 815-408-0745. Um, in the past, we've had some problems with, with the old voicemail, but I think it's fixed. I'm pretty sure we got to figure it figured all out. So... Uh, just follow proper phone call etiquette uh, in which you uh, put your ear to one end of the phone and your voice, uh, your mouth at the other end, and then just speak uh, directly into the receiver. Clearly, confidently, just you just tell us what you think about us. Um, so it'd be great to hear like what you guys you know think are your favorite episodes, who are your favorite guests. Um, I don't know other weird questions or thoughts you might have anything that you've ever wanted to know about christian leftism but we're just way too embarrassed to ask all of those things are things you could ask us so please do that (laughs) um yeah i don't know it'll be a fun episode i think to sit back and reflect on all of the the really great things that we've done with our lives so far uh all right well as you can see uh we really need somebody to to help us think about charisma and we're gonna turn to vincent lloyd to do that uh so thanks vincent for coming back on the magnificast it's great to have you back on we actually in our last episode we were reading some huey p newton stuff and we were thinking back on the last time you were on on episode six which feels like uh forever ago now uh when we talked to you about huey p newton um so it's great to have you back on here about what you're working on now uh for folks who i guess aren't too familiar um you teach at villanova and you do a lot of really fascinating research on theology and, and politics and prison abolition and, and a bunch of interesting other things that we can get into as we go. But uh, just to start out, um, we should just ask, what have you been up to lately among the, the many, many activities that you've been doing in the last uh, month or so? 
Well, thanks for having me uh, back on. It's great to see that the uh, Magnificast is uh, flourishing over the last uh, several months here. Yeah, I've uh, been traveling around and giving uh, some talks recently. I uh, was visiting Matt down in Greenville, which was a lot of fun, uh, getting to know the, the, the community down there. And uh, before that, I got to see uh, uh, Dean in person in the flesh in Atlanta at this uh, political theology uh, network uh, conference where trying to bring together theologians, religious studies scholars, and uh, folks from other humanities departments uh, who are thinking with the, the concept of political theology uh, in all uh, sorts of ways um, and you know, uh, deepening the engagement with religious traditions while also sort of sharpening our cr critical tools uh, from the sort of theory, uh, theory side. So um, uh, we're trying to bring, bring folks together uh, who might not usually be in the same room, uh, the same sort of conference together, along with some activists as well, which, yeah, I thought was a good experience. Yeah, yeah, it was a great time. I had a great time anyway. So yeah, uh, same. looking forward to seeing how that develops. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think uh, uh, it will, uh, th there are a lot of possible uh, uh, directions that, uh, that it can go, and it, it's always hard balancing the um, pressures toward uh, institutionalization and professionalization on the one hand and, you know, the sort of vibrancy of uh, the, you know, the real people uh, having uh, real conversations about real stuff that they care about uh, on the other. And hopefully uh, we can collectively figure out a way to, to keep that balance uh, so uh, everyone's happy and everyone can keep doing good work and having fun. Yeah, that's a good challenge. Though having fun is a value I really appreciate among <laughs> academic conferences. Um, so good on you for for caring about that. Um, Matt, uh, how about you? What have you been up to these days? Uh, I just got back from a conference in LA. That was fun. Uh, I went to the College Art Association conference and learned about art. Lots of good art out there. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm also psyched to uh, no longer be in LA and be back home. That's very fun. Yeah. What have you been doing, Dean? Uh, not too much. I um, I had a birthday last uh, last week. That was a good time. Played some games with my friends, and uh, Emily bought me a bunch of like really uh, delicious and, and garbage like food that I was uh, indulging in for a week. Um, it's weird having a birthday in Lent. Uh, I feel like there's sort of a uh, a strange irony there, but I just I give right into it. I feel like um, God probably gets it. So, uh, I think that's, that's cool. Um, you know, I'm coming down from the birthday high, getting back into to regular life and trying to finish a bunch of, of projects. Um, but, uh, one of those projects, here's a, here's a great, just forced transition into what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> one of those projects has been reading Vincent's uh, new book on charisma, which is really fun. And we were, uh, sort of lucky enough to get an advanced, uh, reading of that. Uh, it's a really, really great book, super accessible and, and fun to read. Uh, but usually we, when we have people on Vincent, we ask them to give a, an elevator pitch, uh, of the, the piece of writing that we're going to talk about so that everyone's kind of on the same page. So if you could just sort of introduce us into, um, what the book's about, why you wanted to write it and, uh, what people should expect from it. Sure. Uh, thanks, uh, uh, to both of you for, for taking a look at, uh, at this text and uh, it's good to hear that it's, uh, readable and, and, uh, <laughs> accessible. I, I was really trying uh, trying to go go for that uh, and sort of using examples from popular culture or uh, literature or stories uh, to sort of uh, engage um, uh, readers in you know thinking about uh, charisma. Uh, so the the uh, 
worry that the book starts with is that uh, charisma is a bad thing, right? You might think about um, uh, Hitler um, as a sort of paradigm of bad charisma, but you also might think about sort of um, feminist or grassroots critiques of Martin Luther King, right, as sort of taking all of the uh, energy uh, from uh, the civil rights movement and taking the media spotlight uh, and, you know, making people forget about all the hard work that on-the-ground organizers uh, have been doing, um, uh, not just at the, uh, contemporaneous with King, but for generations before. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the work that women have been doing, the folk, uh, work that uh, queer folks have been doing. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I think the racial justice organizers today, right around Black Lives Matter and other movements are really, really great on saying, you know, we need to be suspicious of leaders who are, are getting in the media spotlight. Uh, we need to be suspicious of charisma, right? So the, the book is sort of starting with this uh, suspicion that we rightly have of, uh, of charisma, but also saying, you know, there, there's something really important and powerful uh, about a, a, a quiet kind of uh, charisma, a democratic kind of charisma, a kind of charisma that uh, gets us asking new questions, right? That, that uh, gets us thinking uh, more about our humanity that, that sort of taps into our deepest desires, not just our sort of superficial desires to be pleased by a nice performance or to hear what we want to hear, but that, that you, know, um, you know, our desires for the good, the true, and the beautiful, right, which can't be fulfilled by, you know, the, the, what the world, uh, what the powers that be in the world want to give us right away uh, in, you know, uh, a minute or, or, you know, an hour, um, but that, that really call for, for deep questioning and deep interrogation of, of self and world, that, that deeper kind of charisma that we know from, you know, neighbors or uh, relatives or colleagues, um, uh, or that we sort of encounter on a, on a bus trip across the city, uh, you know, sometime talking to someone, a stranger we just happened to strike up a conversation with. Now, that's the kind of charisma that I, I think is really important to, to name uh, and to, to hold up, even as we're uh, worrying about and criticizing uh, a bad kind of charisma. Yeah, you introduced this dichotomy that runs throughout the book between authoritarian and democratic charisma. That's what you call those two. What do those mean for you? And we're going to return to it a few times, so it'd probably be helpful to flag that up front, I think. Sure. So I call uh, authoritarian charisma the kind of uh, charisma that gives you answers, the kind of charisma where you cede your own capacity to judge to the charismatic figure and just sort of accept the judgments of, of that charismatic figure, uh, that, uh, that's authoritarian charisma. Democratic charisma is a kind of charisma that uh, invites you to ask new questions, right? Invites you to tap into your uh, deepest uh, desires uh, and pursue, pursue them, knowing that uh, there won't be uh, sort of easy answers you know, uh, around uh, kind of uh, charisma that uh, reveals, reveals uh, what's most fundamentally human rather than concealing it, right? Authoritarian charisma uh, is concealing what's uh, what's human uh, behind a sort of veneer, a sort of sleekness uh, of the performance. Uh, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, that's a, an interesting way to break it down, I think. Well, on that point, when I was reading through um, at least the introduction of your book, um, I, I kept coming back to the, the term charisma and like what that actually means and how it functions. So, um, and, and to me, it seemed kind of similar to the idea of rhetoric, um, but I wonder how you would uh, differentiate those terms. So, like, why did you choose the term charisma rather than, like, rhetoric or eloquence? It's another word mm -hmm. associated with speaking a lot. So, why charisma? Oh, it's a great, uh, a great question. So, what I, I want to think about with charisma, you know, I, I mean, the, the etymologically, the word comes from the, the sort of sense of a gift. Uh, sometimes it's talked about in terms of a, a sort of divine gift. 
Um, and, you know, I, I want to think about, uh, you know, the, uh, in uh, theological terms, the image of uh, God in the human, right, mm. uh, as this sort of divine gift that we have that's often concealed, right, uh, that ideology conceals, right, that, you know, the, uh, being caught up in the everyday, uh, you know, everyday worries and everyday life uh, conceals. Um, uh, and uh, I want to think about, you know, when does that gift, right, that, that uh, the gift of the image of God in in the human, when is that um, uh, accessible, right? When, when can we catch a glimpse of that? Um, uh, and I know that that's what uh, uh, I want to see happening in uh, uh, this democratic charisma. So in rhetoric or eloquence, you know, those are tools that are employed uh, to achieve specific uh, ends that someone might, might have. Uh, whereas uh, in charisma, right, it's about, um, not uh, a worldly end that the um, speaker desires, but um, uh, in uh, democratic charisma, it's about you know the uh, calling attention to the human uh, itself, right? The, the image of God in in the human, which is the most essential part of uh, of uh, the human. Uh, so it, it's not about uh, something in the world or getting something that you want uh, in the world, but actually calling. Uh, viewers beyond the world, right? To uh, to uh, reflect on what, what why the world doesn't satisfy them, and that's what democratic uh, charisma at its uh, at its best does. Um, whereas authoritarian charisma, you know, I, I see is you know a way that um, ideology circulates, right? So you know, this is a criticism of uh, celebrities, uh, of course, but also. You know, uh, sort of totalitarian uh, political uh, uh, figures right, that, uh, you know, there are sort of set of ideas of um, the wealthy and the powerful uh, and how, uh, you know, how do we um, think that they're okay? Well, one way is, you know, celebrities, you know, who we uh, look up to tell us that they're okay or make us feel okay with uh, these uh, ideas of the, the wealthy uh, and the powerful um, whether they're, you know, ideas about capitalism or patriarchy or nationalism uh, uh, or uh, racism, you know, uh, those uh, ideas are sort of embodied in um, uh, uh, these figures of, uh, of authoritarian charisma, sometimes uh, celebrities that, that really function as catalysts for that, that ideology. Uh, that's so cool. Um, I like that elaboration of charisma so much. Um, so I'm a person that has to teach a public speaking course every now and again. And uh, usually like when you do those types of things, like rhetoric is is sort of like the the choice of word like that. That's what you know, you're learning persuasion, you're learning how to speak and charisma often ends up being sort of a subset of rhetoric. But the way that you've done it here uh is is pretty neat and interesting to me just because like now charisma subsumes rhetoric um and uh it adds sort of like a um a moral impetus behind charisma or at least you know a possible moral impetus so that's really neat mm -hmm. yeah i mean w one way I, I try to think about it is um in terms of the, the difference between uh the sophists and socrates right so mm. uh, you, know, uh, you know the rhetoric uh that uh, is sort of employed by uh people getting paid in ancient Greece uh, to persuade people of something, right, can be very slick, can be very, uh, you know, uh, use the right words to appeal to the emotions, uh, to give people answers, uh, to make the sophist judgment seem like 
the audience make the audience feel as if um, their own judgment is the same as the sophist judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Socrates, you know, uh, also has a kind of uh, charisma, right? If we imagine uh, what uh, Socrates uh, looks like uh, is like interacting in in the marketplace, right? It's not a very slick kind of uh, charisma, right? Socrates is sometimes described as being ugly, right? Sometimes, you know, he's not the most um, uh, 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 put together, doesn't always choose uh, exactly um, uh, the word that will, will instantly persuade or instantly make uh, the, uh, the person hearing uh, feel, feel good, right? Uh, sometimes what Socrates says provokes resistance, right? Um, but Socrates is all... Ultimately, you know, there is something seductive about Socrates. Uh, still, it's a different kind of uh, kind of seduction, right? Uh, it's a seduction that isn't about uh, desiring Socrates. It's about desiring the good mm. and, uh, and breaking through uh, the conventional wisdom, right? Breaking through the, the uh, you know the the wisdom of the world at the time, the wisdom of the ancient Greek world, uh, to to think uh, to think uh, deeper. Uh, so I, I mean, I, I want to hold up that that kind of democratic charisma that that Socrates uh, exemplifies. Uh, or that Moses, you know, in another sense, uh, exemplifies. Moses is a kind of equivocal figure. Uh, on the one hand, you know, we think Moses, we think of, you know, a uh, big, strong uh, uh, guy, you know, uh, on the mountain talking to God, but that's really Charlton Heston, not Moses, right? It's the mm-hmm. sort of image we have from the movies, right? uh, which is really about America and manhood and whiteness, right? Uh, uh, which, you know, seems quite uh, different from, you know, the Moses of the Bible who stuttered, right? Mm-hmm. The Moses of the Bible who has to uh, go through Aaron, have to, have to go through the, the, the Israelite elders, right? Can't sort of directly communicate uh, with uh, anyone, right? That there are all these sort of layers of mediation uh, involved in Moses, and you know, um, who isn't really telling people exactly uh, what to do, but inviting, you know, inviting a kind of uh, questioning, right? So, and uh, Moses, you know, like. Many of the figures of charisma that I, you know, all of the all of the figures of charisma that I'm trying to reflect on in in the book, you know, is equivocal, right? There, you know, we we might represent um, Moses as uh, having this kind of authoritarian charisma, but you know, uh, one can sort of dig deeper and find a, a kind of democratic uh, charisma there as well. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think. Uh, <laughs> speaking of sort of. You know, since you're making this connection between a, a religious figure like Moses and and charisma, uh, we have this ongoing pain ag- campaign against uh, Joel Osteen on this podcast. Uh, we're trying to to slowly dislodge him on the religious and spirituality podcast popularity charts on iTunes, um, and uh, maybe you can help us out here. So, in your introduction, you call out uh, prosperity gospels uh, or prosperity gospel preachers specifically as an example of charisma and a sort of dangerous, I guess, religious seduction. Um, could you like tell us a little bit more about that connection between authoritarian charisma and religion? Um, I mean, I think that's something that a lot of, especially leftists, worry about when they hear religion. Right? There's this this critique of uh, people uh, kind of get sucked in by you know a, a weird version of the opium of the masses or something like that, and then they can't think for themselves and they never address these material problems. Right? And and someone like Joel Osteen is, I guess, a, a good like. Um, uh, obvious <laughs> example of that um how did that how does that connection work authoritarian and ch- charisma and religion 
Yeah, yeah, no, that's a uh, great question, and I, I mean, I, I think it, it certainly is a, a worry, and in the the sort of popular imagination, right, the 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 preacher who uh, is talking about God but is really concerned with money, right, is a sort of paradigm of bad uh, bad charisma, right, the sort of sleekness uh, that um, you know has a content that seems holy but is uh, has an effect which is very worldly and very sort of uh, uh, self uh, self aggrandizing. Um, uh, and self uh, self enriching, um, right? Uh, so that um, I mean, I, uh, certainly th- that's uh, something to worry about. And I mean, in general, the, the project of the book is to uh, say, you know, uh, charisma is something that w- we need to worry about, and we need to, need to find tools for discernment, you know, with respect to. Right. So w- when we encounter we don't uh we shouldn't encounter charisma and say this is bad let's go away we shouldn't encounter charisma and say you know tell me more i want to hear this this is giving me what i want we we need uh, sort of tools for discernment and you know reflection on uh, how we can distinguish you know the 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 um uh, charisma that's calling us beyond the road the charisma that's holding us down uh in the world uh and i mean i, I think it's all the more uh, true for uh, religious uh, charisma, but I mean, I, I think uh, you know one of the things I, I try to do throughout the throughout the book is uh, think about you know how this, uh, authoritarian charisma, charisma at its worst, you know, uh, is um, you know uh, circulating capital, but also uh, very much tied in with uh, other bad things, right? Uh, uh, nationalism, right? Mm-hmm. The, the sort of um, uh, patriarchy, right? A, a sort of father figure, in a sense, right? A father is the first figure of charisma, right? Uh, who's uh, you know uh, uh, telling you uh, uh, what? I mean, father in the sort of um, uh, uh, way that uh, popular imagination of of the father, right? Mm-hmm. Where you see you see judgment to the father. Father is giving you answers, right? You, um, uh, the father isn't you know inviting you to ask new questions. The father is you know uh, telling you what. Uh, what the world is uh, is like, um, but then you know you grow up or you become uh, you know older and you, know, the, uh, you start asking questions yourself and you know relationships healthy relationships with parents change and you know uh, uh, become relationships between adults and everyone can sort of ask their own questions and and there can still be a, a kind of I mean a, a democratic charisma that comes from the father after you've grown up right after you see that there's a kind of demystification. Uh, of of the, the 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 father figure, which you know is really uh, w- what can happen in religion at its best as well, right? Where you know uh, at one time one might be drawn in by a kind of a slickness of uh, 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 a piety, but then you know um, uh, a demystification can uh, can you know the the the, the um, uh, enchantment can can sort of recede. But you know the 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 um, calling, right, can still be there, and the calling no longer should be directed at a person, right, or a, a, a worldly institution, but you know uh, at you know the good, the true, the beautiful, at justice, and and that that calling uh, should be a, a resistance to you know uh, worldly worldly forces and ideologies um, when you know, religion is functioning at its best. Hmm. So somebody that you mentioned a little bit earlier as an example of democratic charisma is Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Um, and uh, that he's like a good example of the ways that charisma can be used and are you know, useful to us. 
Uh, there's like a really great line in your book where you say that King's charisma muted people's reason, but like that was a good thing because people reasoned according to like an oppressive logic. So it was like a helpful corrective. Uh, you also mentioned that this charisma occludes the more mundane work of social movements, actually building change on the ground. Um, so could you talk a little bit more about how all of that functions sort of democratically and like what that part means? Um, how does charisma like short circuit our usual thought, like the oppressive logic we live our lives by? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. How does that work? Sure. Yeah. And uh, first, I, I should mention, uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of great scholarship uh, and some social criticism around uh, King uh, Erica Edwards is a great book called Charisma and the Fictions of Black Leadership. Uh, she's a literature scholar and sort of looking at how uh, black women and um, sort of ordinary people in, uh, if one sort of reads black literature carefully, are, are always uh, challenging the uh, sort of heteronormative uh, uh, black man who's sort of uh, in, a, in a position of authority. So these sorts of um, uh, you know, uh, challenges to uh, figures who've been uh, elevated uh, into the, the, uh, this uh, role of uh, charismatic leader you know, have been ongoing for and are just a part of uh, 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 social life uh, in all uh, sorts of uh, communities and particularly in uh, marginalized communities where, you know, ideology, uh, you know, the limits of ideology are all the more uh, apparent. Um, I mean, with a, a figure like King, who, you know, again, is equivocal. I mean, one of the things I talk about in, uh, in the book is, um, you know, this uh, uh, novel by uh, Charles Johnson, a, a black uh, a writer of uh, historical fiction and, and um, other fiction as well, who imagines, you know, uh, what, uh, you know, sort of imagined King behind the scenes, hmm. right? Uh, particularly in his later days when he's in Chicago and he's really struggling uh, to uh, catch, right? And, and King, in the sort of imagination, is, uh, and, in, and in reality, is, uh, became overdetermined by his image, right? Hmm. Uh, he's, uh, you know, image, imagined in the media as charismatic leader, and all he can do, you know, no matter what he says, no matter what he does is become, uh, you know, a play this role of, of uh, uh, charismatic uh, leader, the sort of um, authoritarian charisma has totally, um, uh, I mean, he's become identified with uh, this uh, authoritarian charisma as much as he wants to uh, escape it. So in this historical novel, there's actually, um, uh, Johnson imagines what it would be like if, if charisma had a double, like a body double, uh, who was who able to express all the humanity that King can't express because he's so trapped uh, in his own image. Uh, well, that's so fascinating to kind of look at how these two things, authoritarian and democratic charisma, kind of feed off of each other. They're on some kind of continuum uh, where you can you can sort of be promoting one and still get sucked in by the other one or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I imagine, you know, King in the early days in Montgomery where, you know, uh, he's just a, a young uh, 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 basically a young kid right out of graduate school, right? Just finished his dissertation a few months before, and now there's this bus boycott, uh, and he's, you know, uh, uh, preaching. And, you know, uh, there it seems like he, he probably does have this kind of democratic charisma, right? He's encouraging people to uh, ask questions that they hadn't asked before, right? Uh, system of segregation had, you know, might have been frustrating, but, you know, it seemed as if nothing could be done. And, and now, right, the, at the... Uh, uh, King is uh, inviting people to, to uh, think uh, that you know the, the limits 
you know, to think the impossible, right? To think that the limits of possibility uh, are not what they seemed before, uh, that the system of segregation could be abolished, right? uh, which seems like a really powerful kind of um, uh, thing and something that we want to we want to uh, praise, right? And something that was surprising uh, at the time, um, but then you know, uh, uh, ten years later, um, you know, when uh, you know, every uh, television screen has uh, been, uh, you know, showing images of, of King over and over again. Uh, you know, the um, effect uh, is of, of any new thing that King says is, is very, uh, uh, very different. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I mean, all these, you know, worries about uh, uh, patriarchy uh, and, um, and even, you know, uh, nationalism and even, you know, the, the sort of, um, now that uh, uh, time has passed, is sort of um, incorporation of King into the uh, American, you know, becoming the quintessential American, right? Uh, and being used for capitalism, as we saw in the uh, uh, Super Bowl ad, you know, uh, these, uh, you know, that that uh, you know, he's just become authoritarian, authoritarian charisma with all of the bad things that always goes along with authoritarian charisma. Yeah, uh, that makes a bunch of sense, and it's really troubling. Uh, I remember. There's a weird thing that Lenin says in State and Revolution about Marx uh, to the same respect that I always think about with King, where uh, he sort of says when revolutionaries die, um, everybody who hated them, you know, uh, while they were alive and revolutionary suddenly sort of wants to appropriate them. Uh, and there is a real, I guess, um, power or, or capital to be gained by uh, reinvesting that that charisma toward toward other ends is something that's sort of troubling. Um I, I'm curious, actually, about how you think charisma feeds into leftist movements in particular. Um, you mentioned Saul Linsky in the book as an exemplar of democratic charisma, um, which I was interested by, but also kind of surprised by. He's also, importantly, anti-communist. Uh, is, is there room for a normatively good charismatic, charismatic leader in leftist party movements? Uh, how does this sort of relate to the stuff you were doing with Huey P. Newton, for example, who's a pretty charismatic uh, party builder? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what what's uh, so valuable about Alinsky is the sort of theorizing of organizing practice and of uh, antagonism, right? The the way that you know we need to sort of constitute uh, a ninety nine percent against uh, a one percent, even if even if those uh, groups are imprecise. But you know, uh, forcing that antagonism, right? Forcing that conflict, uh, and you know, organizing uh, uh, deeply and carefully. Uh, uh, at the grassroots among the 99%, right? If that's a, if that's a language that one wants to adopt, hmm. you know, uh, is um, uh, the prerequisite to uh, creating any um, uh, sort of serious uh, movement toward uh, justice. Um, uh, so, I, I mean, I, I think in that uh, theorization of uh, of organizing and of struggle for for justice. Now, uh, Alinsky, you know, has uh, space for uh, organizers, right? People coming from the outside, uh, and uh, you know, with one foot outside and one foot inside a, a community, um, uh, to uh, uh, catalyze uh, community uh, organizing, uh, in part by. Uh, build, I mean, not by giving uh, a community answers, not by saying, you know, you need to build uh, a new bridge, you need to new, build a new park, you need a new community garden, but rather by, you know, inviting uh, community members to 
uh, talk about, you know, uh, what uh, is ailing our community and then to go deeper to say who is causing, you know, these things that are ailing our community. What are the systems that are causing these uh, uh, problems uh, in our community? And then to, uh, you know, identify an enemy, right, that, that can be targeted. You know, who is the, the boss who is, you know, uh, causing uh, these uh, uh, problems with uh, toxic waste or with, you know, uh, no uh, park space or with, uh, you know, labor working conditions or, or whatever, you know, who is the, the um, uh, leader that can be targeted um, uh, for, uh, to, to affect uh, change. Uh, but it, it's never the organizer who's um, uh, sort of, uh, giving people answers or, you know, attracting attention for him or herself. The organizer, you know, ideally is identifying uh, uh, and, you know, uh, trying to uh, uh, give resources to and give aid to leaders that are already in the community. So, you know, at the, you know, in the this sort of ideal type of the meeting where everyone is saying, you know, here, here are the problems uh, in our in our neighborhood, and here are the the people who are behind the problems. Here are the systems who are behind the problems. uh, At those sorts of meetings which I, I imagine you, you all have been doing, I've been to, right? You know, you hear people who are, you know, unexpectedly eloquent, right? Uh, neighbors, uh, uh, teachers, relatives who, you know, can talk about uh, and can feel, right? Uh, uh, you know, have passion for uh, the, the, the deep injustices uh, that, that are happening in, in a community and that can sort of mobilize others, you know, uh, to uh, organize uh, with them, you know, uh, around those injustices and those systems of, of injustice, so the the organizer can you know, mobilize leaders, and the leaders can mobilize other member, members of community, and and that way charisma becomes kind of contagious, right? One person passes it to others, who pass it to others. If it's democratic charisma, if it's authoritarian charisma, it's supporting it, it, it uh, all the attention for itself to the one uh, individual with with the uh, authoritarian uh, charisma. I mean, I, I do worry that. Uh, I, I think with you that Alinsky doesn't go deep enough, right? Doesn't name ideology, doesn't name capitalism as a, a root problem, right? Uh, uh, that needs to be uh, uh, combated, um, uh, and doesn't name nationalism, right? Sometimes he he gets into the uh, 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 being proud to be uh, uh, an American uh, bit um, that you know uh, is uh, reads as uncritical, but is sometimes uh, probably employed more rhetorically than substantively. Anyway, I mean, uh, Alinsky, uh, you know, has his limits, um, and you know, uh, socialist and hard left uh, organizing of the kind that Huey Newton and others um, uh, organizing today, you know, are uh, part of. It's just um, on an email thread with uh, Kali Kuno in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, who's part of the Malcolm X grassroots uh, movement there, uh, you know, organizing to. Uh, reclaim uh, historically uh, black uh, territory for uh, you know um, uh, a project of black self determination in the in the South, uh, which uh, you know uh, is uh, again a sort of thing that uh, you know on the one hand you know in some ideal world you know it's just community members coming together, but on the other hand you know in reality it's uh, democratic charisma that that is you know, catalyzing that is bringing others uh, forward. That is creating the spaces for others to, you know, express their own humanity, which will then call forth the humanity of others, uh, which can then be mobilized against uh, the systems of uh, of oppression, of which you know capitalism is uh, uh, the you know first and foremost. Uh, you do you do mention Castro, I think one time in passing, at least in the introduction. Uh, Fidel Castro is a person that we like to talk about a lot for some different reasons, um, and he seems like he's a figure that might 
uh, like exhibit both these charismatic elements. Like, I mean, sometimes he's authoritarian and maybe sometimes he's more democratic. Um, what do you think of leaders like Castro or like other, other folks in revolutionary sta- states in terms of charisma? How does uh, that work out or how can we think of them in terms of uh, charisma? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so th- there was a, a moment when social scientists got really excited about uh, charisma because um, in the mind of social scientists, they just discovered all of these global south uh, dictators who you know, had this uh, quality and were you know, mobilizing uh, you know, all of these people around them and seemed to have cults of personality, uh, and the social scientists wanted to explain it. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I that was one of the times that charisma sort of uh, uh, peaks forward and people start making a series of, uh, of uh, charisma in a way that, you know, charisma is a topic that people have talked about since uh, Max Weber in a, in a sort of a theoretical uh, sense and since uh, much earlier in a sort of theological uh, sense. But, you know, it, 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 there are sort of uh, ebbs and flows in the, in the amount of uh, discussion there is about charisma. So that was a moment uh, when uh, there was more uh, discussion of charisma. But at, at that moment, there wasn't a lot of um, uh, talk about discernment between uh, 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 good charisma and uh, bad charisma, charisma that can, you know, open towards, you know, uh, justice and charisma that uh, uh, reinforces uh, ideology, uh, which, you know, which has been uh, a feature of the... I mean, it, it, uh, one of the problems with uh, charisma and the, the things I was trying to grapple with is that, you know, there's a social science literature on charisma, and then there's a theological literature on charisma. Hmm. The theological literature, you know, actually is interested in discerning, you know, stuff mm-hmm. about stuff that's true, right? Uh, char- you know, charisma that, uh, you know, is uh, a real gift of God, right? Uh, the social science literature is not, right? It's interested in describing a phenomenon that can be observed. Uh, you know, and counted and measured, um, uh, or uh, at least classified. Um, so, you know, I, I wanted to think, you know, what if we take them, uh, that uh, uh, theological insight, right, that uh, there could be a, a kind of charisma that, that, that uh, digs deep, that goes beyond the world, right, uh, and bring it together with the, the, this um, social science literature, which, you know, it does usefully think about uh, varieties of uh, uh, political formation and, um, and and name some of the problems with authoritarian charisma and you know deals with a lot of data which you know can be useful to engage with. So I mean my, my book is trying to bring together these two different uh, strands in the in the, the literature uh, around uh, around charisma. But uh, I mean in terms of uh, getting back to to your uh, question, uh, you know around uh, someone like uh, Castro, right? So I mean I. I I agree, and can consistently throughout the book, there's a, an equivocation that calls for discernment, right? Mm. A charisma that can, you know, always, uh, um, you know, even with uh, King, right? Even with Ella Baker, right? Even with, you know, uh, you know, the sort of grassroots, uh, most grassrootsy, most, you know, uh, uh, queer women of color, right? Uh, uh, even in the, these sorts of uh, contexts, can become uh, authoritarian. A charisma, so that that kind of um, uh, suspicion that that calls uh, uh, for us to uh, think carefully and have um, uh, you know exercise judgment uh, informed by you know practices of community and so on. You know that that's really um, uh, important, but you know we shouldn't just be dismissing uh, Castro along with 
uh, Hitler, along with Stalin, along with Mussolini, right? I mean, this kind of judgment, right? This kind of discernment uh, is what social scientists are, are so often lacking, but what theologians are so good at, at calling for. Hmm. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think uh, bringing that together for a figure like Castro is, is what we need. Hmm. <laughs> I love that, uh, that way of sort of picking apart the theological literature and social scientific literature. Um, it is funny in, in a way, right? Like you put your finger on it there, that there is something about uh, figuring out what actually matters in those uh, structural phenomena for theological voices that I think is a really interesting thing, especially when you think about someone like Fidel Castro, right? Because there's so many uh, really, really good and, and interesting things about what he's doing in, in Cuba that kind of get overlooked even by, uh, I guess, like boring, uh, <laughs> boring, boring to me anyway, boring like structural analyses of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I wonder uh, if you could talk a little bit more about that in terms of uh, American politics. Um, I mean, there's this kind of vague uh, rhetoric of populism on both the left and right right now. Um, and as people are trying to discern what that means, it seems like a conversation about charisma would be really important. Um, like, obviously, Donald Trump is probably a pretty authoritarian, charismatic figure. Um, but, uh, it seemed like there was a, even a, an internal debate around charisma within like the democratic primary, for example. Uh, so Bernie Sanders clearly tapped into a certain charismatic force, I guess, for better or worse. And then Clinton was also trying to tap into a charismatic force. Um, as somebody who's been thinking about this, have you sort of, do you have any thoughts on, on the political terrain, I guess, in American politics, uh, related to those sort of trends that are emerging? Yeah, uh, so I, I do. I, the the book doesn't say anything uh, about uh, Trump, but it does uh, talk a, a little bit about um, Twitter charisma, which is uh, maybe related to to Trump and, and the kind of um, uh, Twitter personalities uh, that uh, were advocating for uh, Black Lives Matter uh, after Ferguson, DeRay, DeRay uh, McKesson. Uh, for, uh, most uh, famously, uh, and you know, uh, thinking about the the comparison between um, that kind of Twitter uh, Twitter charisma, right, which you know has features of, of charisma, but also is um, does not uh, does not expose the human, right? Uh, does uh, you know is uh, giving answers, you know, is you know, um, uh, uh, offering judgments. Uh, that an audience can then borrow uh, or, or be given uh, or, then, or swallow and regurgitate. Um, whereas, you know, the, the uh, democratic charisma you know, of um, uh, the three women uh, who uh, coined the hashtag Black Lives Matter, Alicia Garza, uh, Patrice Cullors, uh, and Opal uh, Tomati, uh, you know, was a charisma rooted in um, uh, grassroots organizing, even if there was a little bit of uh, Twitter usage, there was also uh, a lot of uh, public speaking and rallies and you know, uh, the sort of hard work of organizing and meetings and uh, planning and strategizing and uh, so on. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I think the, uh, in terms of, um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of uh, uh, patience for uh, electoral politics because, I mean, I, I think it can um, uh, grab our attention and take so much affective investment, uh, particularly of people who otherwise have reasonably good uh, political judgment, right? They start talking about uh, electoral politics and um, soon, you know, all of this sort of affective energy is invested in it when, you know, that's not uh, where the revolution is going to happen, right? It's, uh, in, the, in the sort of um, electoral political sphere, right? It, I mean, it's in, 
uh, grassroots organizing of marginal, uh, marginalized uh, communities, marginalized for a variety of reasons, communities that uh, uh, is where uh, you know real politics uh, uh, oriented toward justice uh, happens, uh, and you know that's where um, uh, one should be looking for uh, democratic charisma and worried about authoritarian charisma. I mean, it, the realm of politics is like the realm of celebrity, right? It's uh, the realm of electoral politics is like the realm of celebrity, right? Overdetermined by this. Uh, you know, authoritarian charisma just circulating uh, uh, ideology. But I mean, in uh, Bernie Sanders, at uh, you know uh, the best uh, of that movement, and you know Obama 2008, at the best of that movement, right? Uh, there's a, a mobilization of uh, uh, people uh, on the ground who care about justice, right? Who's uh, who are not fully formed in their uh, politics, right? Who are learning about organizing, who are learning about uh, the you know uh, forces of evil and, and ideology that will try to uh, crush uh, struggles uh, for uh, justice, right? Uh, and you know, learning the practical skills of organizing uh, that that can be uh, you know acquired and refined in electoral political campaigns. Um, and th those, um, I mean, uh, looking behind uh, the the candidates or bracketing uh, the candidate and looking at you know the the organizing practices on the ground. I mean, that. Th that's the, the place to look um, for uh, the, the kind of, um, uh, you know, for what matters, you know, uh, politically. Uh, I guess on that point, so, I mean, uh, like you said, the revolution isn't coming from electoral politics, uh, but from other other places, uh, marginalized communities. Uh, on that note, though, um, you, you talk about a lot of ways to sort of understand charisma, and um, that is, I think, a really helpful tool for the, the toolbox of analysis. Um, what do you think about, like, how do we just be more charismatic? Um, you said a, a, a few minutes ago, too, that democratic charisma is one of those things that kind of spreads. But I guess, like, how do we practice it? How do we become good at being charismatic in, like, the uh, democratic sort of way? <laughs> yeah, so if you, if you uh, search for uh, charisma on uh, Amazon.com, there are a whole bunch of how to become charismatic books. <laughs> 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 the first, uh, first results uh, that come up. Uh, and, you know, so on the one hand, uh, you know, that um, I, I want to say, you know, this is just a, a symptom of a sort of managerial culture, right? It's how to be a charismatic, um, you know, middle manager in some big corporation or how to become a you know, charismatic person and so meet the love of your life or something like that. I mean, the, the sort of uh, charisma in a, in a way that, um, you know, is not, uh, is not oriented at all uh, toward uh, justice. But on the other hand, right, the, the sense that uh, charisma, uh, the, uh, there's something about it that's like a virtue that can be cultivated in community. Uh, I mean, that, that does seem important uh, to, uh, to uh, think through and, and to, you know, uh, uh, commend. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't, um, uh, the, the book doesn't end with, uh, sort of 10 steps towards becoming a, a, a person with democratic charisma, Dang. Uh, chapter, but, <laughs> uh, through, you know, uh, practices of discernment, right. By trying to figure out how to disentangle authoritarian charisma from uh, democratic charisma. I mean, that, I think that, uh, opens one to, uh, democratic charisma, and when, when you're open to democratic charisma, you yourself start becoming more uh, uh, charismatic, right? Um, uh, but I mean, it, most of all, I mean, I, I don't think uh, you know, not, not to be too uh, uh, materialist about these things, but you no, know, it, it's uh, you know, if one is in, uh, uh, if the material conditions are right, right, uh, 
if uh, one uh, you know is um, uh, uh, disenfranchised in certain ways, you know, in whatever ways, right? We're all disenfranchised in some ways, right? Uh, and uh, you know, finds the uh, uh, self-awareness to sort of recognize those uh, that that kind of disenfranchisement uh, and finds others who share that kind of disenfranchisement, right? Uh, and you know, uh, allows oneself and, and uh, to speak about it and hears others speaking about it, and you know, it does this sort of thing that happens in the community organizing meetings of you know uh, talking about you know what's wrong in our neighborhood, uh, what's wrong you know with uh, you know what are the uh, injustices that we're facing, um, how how they're not just my injustices but they're shared by by others around me. Uh, and we can, you know, identify uh, where they're coming from, you know, what what systems are behind those individuals or corporations that are causing them, uh, and then, um, you know, uh, challenging those systems. I mean, through that practice of organizing, one uh, becomes this that that uh, the endpoint dot 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 is democratic charisma. Right? Yeah, huh, that's really cool. That makes sense to me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's funny to think about all that just with respect to movement building because, um, I mean, charisma is such a, it's a thing that I guess theoretically it makes sense that people are suspicious of, um, but in practice, like, I don't know, I like I like getting excited about other people, right? <laughs> like, like if someone gets me excited about an issue, that's a really, a really cool and valuable thing. Um, like uh, being at a, a rally or something and hearing somebody speak about the problems that their community is facing or being at an organized meeting and hearing someone speak with confidence about actually getting something done. Uh, at least in, in my experience, like that, that's the kind of thing that inspires me to, to kind of keep doing things and, and believe that I could actually do something as opposed to getting stuck in a kind of uh, temptation to be resigned to the way that things are. Um, uh, I think there's something to just taking that really seriously. I, I, maybe that's the thing I'm, I'm taking away most from your book and, and even how you're talking about it now is that uh, it, it's important to kind of face up to not only the fact that we all kind of participate in charismatic relationships, but in fact, it, it's not it's not a bad thing. And, and there are there are good things if we can only think really hard about about what those things are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, I'm glad it was. Um, I'm glad it uh, makes sense and and seems uh, compelling. I mean, I, I think the yeah. I mean, one of the things that that I'm I've also been trying to to think. Uh, through in in the you know me too era is the relationship between charisma and seduction and the, the kind of dangers that that um are made really explicit wh- you know when um authoritarian uh, you know about the uh connections between authoritarian charisma and patriarchy uh and you know sexual violence um uh and you know it, it seems like if that's something we're worried about uh we also want to retain uh, a way of talking about love right? and, you know, appreciating the phenomenon of love. And I, I'm trying to figure out uh, whether democratic charisma might be a way of, you know, um, naming something like uh, love in the sort of interpersonal, interpersonal realm in an era where, you know, it, we're rightly concerned with the, the way that um, something like authoritarian charisma and patriarchy are, are doing so much real uh, violence to people's lives. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Vincent, for just chatting us uh, chatting us up about all this stuff that you're working on now. Um, we're excited to see how you keep 
keep working on it. I mean, it sounds like there's so much more to be explored and things that you're already kind of still thinking about after having written uh, a whole book on the topic, which I guess is a, is a good sign that the, the labor is, is fruitful and productive. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I wish you luck on all your charismatic uh, write, <laughs> writing ventures and, and organizing ventures. Thank you very, uh, very much for the time to talk. And of course, I, I wrote uh, something about charisma because I have no charisma. I'm trying to figure out you know, what this thing is that other people have. Uh, so <laughs> I'm still going to try and figure it out. <laughs> uh, well, we're glad to, to have you around here anyway. We find you very charismatic enough to, to have you around twice. So you've, <laughs> you've entered the club of two-time Magnificast guests. It's a very coveted spot. So congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I look forward to uh, wrapping Derek Ford in the coming months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. Uh, if you don't already, you should be following us on Twitter, uh, subscribing to us on iTunes, subscribing to us on SoundCloud, and uh, get into the Magnificast basement on uh, Facebook because there's lots of good posts and discussions there. Um, it's been really picking up lately. It's been fun seeing all those posts. Sometimes I can't like stop and participate, uh, but I always like them. Sometimes I can participate, though. So you can interact with us in a really Facebooky kind of way. Um, yeah, so cool. You can also uh, find our podcast on Theology Corner, so check that out, and also on Critical Mediations. Those are two podcast networks that we belong to, and you can also go listen to the other good content on those websites. Um, Friendly Anarchism is on both of them, so just like listen to our podcast and listen to Friendly Anarchism twice, and then you're good. Um, cool, so thanks for listening. Um, see you next time. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late